Welcome to Much to Discuss, a weekly conversation between the most talented woman on the planet, Kelly O'Shea, <laughs> and me, Steph Swan, tackling the culture, content, news, and topics we're absorbing this week. How you going, Kel? What's news? Well, I haven't seen you for two weeks now, and it just feels as though it's been a lifetime. Honestly, just chilling over here. Little Ernie's growing up. He got his first haircut. Adorable. That's the dog for those playing along at home. And he now is officially a teenager, and I want him to stop growing. And yeah, that's that's really the highlight of my life is seeing his little face every morning. He's so cute. Do you and feel he- like you're noticing his growth on a daily basis or weekly? It's kind of weekly. It's also because we have the other dog around, so we can see him kind of proportionate to that dog. It's actually like an easier guide to see how he is growing because you see him kind of catching Bert. And yes, their names are Bert and Ernie, and that is deliberate. Really exciting news is, you know, my Brisbane Lions, who I love dearly. It's an AFL team for those from the US. It's the best sport in the world. NFL's a snooze fest in comparison. Come at me for that (laughs) comment. I don't care. So there's the women and men's teams. The men's team lost the grand final this year by four points. Devastating. Mm. The women's team won the grand final on the weekend. So we are. Cue the celebration music. It was awesome. It was down in Melbourne. So Seb and I weren't there in person, but. We got footage of mum and dad kind of drinking out of the premiership cup. Dad was on shoulders at the after party with the cup in his hands in the air. Very, very funny. Wait, that's so exciting. (laughs) It was so epic and just so well-deserved. The girls did such a great job. They didn't quite win it last year, and so they've answered it this season. So it's pretty incredible. Premierships are very hard to come by, so it's incredibly exciting for them. Okay, that's amazing. Also, just really quick to clarify, because as you know, I thought AFL was just soccer. AFL stands for Australian Football League, right? Yes, and it is not soccer. It's rugby, pretty much, but with different No, no, it's also not rugby. (laughs) Is it not its own version of rugby? Um, It's a totally different sport? It's a completely different sport. The pitch is oval. It's not a square like rugby. Here's what I would say about rugby. Like you've got to throw the ball backwards to go forward. You're very much in a line. NFL, what you guys play, (laughs) is much closer to rugby than anything else. It's that line formation that moves up and down a square field. Boring. (laughs) AFL footy is a very dynamic game. It actually is most like Gaelic football. I'll, we're going to post a clip, actually. There's like an intro to footy. It's the best game. It's in motion all the time. They can kick it, handball it. You can be across the whole field. There's no like, there's positions, of course, but it flows very differently to your rugby or your NFL. Okay. That is the most important clip we will put on our Instagram this week. <laughs> I remember some Americans coming over and watching it in Australia. I like hosted some of them and they just were like, you Aussies are crazy. This is insane. It was very funny. It reminds me of ice hockey in its fun and dynamic ways. Oh, I thought you were going to say in its violence. Should we just become an AFL podcast? That would be tough as I've never watched AFL, but (laughs) given some dedication, I think it could happen for us. We'll keep it on the back burner. Wait, so what have you been doing? What's up? What's going on? I was in... London for a long weekend, which was fabulous. One of my friends is there for the next couple of months and it was her 31st birthday. So me and a couple of her friends went over to celebrate and 
it was amazing. Nine out of 10, as you'll laugh very hard at this. On her final day of us being there, she came down with the stomach flu. Oh, sweet, sweet Polly. Is relevant because when me and Steph and a close friend of ours went to Martha's Vineyard a year ago, around the exact same time of year, Steph came down with the stomach flu. I think it's me. Are you poisoning us? <laughs> What's Maybe. going on? I don't know. I, it's too weird that this happened twice. But it was like I'd been there before. Like I knew exactly like, what steps to take. We'll get her some salt and vinegar chips and move on. Though Molly probably didn't want them. I did get her salt and vinegar chip. I was like, you're probably not going to want these because only a maniac would. But I decided to get them for you just in case you felt like they would settle your stomach. And did she use them? No. That's disappointing. Yeah. For those obviously following along, salt and vinegar chips is like my version of what Windex is to the father from my big fat Greek wedding. Surely oh. you get the reference. Salt and vinegar chips are my lifeblood. They will fix anything. If I'm sad or upset or sick, buy me a packet and that's going to have helped me. But yeah, I was like deathly sick, really didn't eat anything for days, but chips and some rice. <laughs> And yet we still had the trip of a lifetime. We really did. That's a real warning to people traveling with you in the future. It only happens on a yearly basis right around the November, December timeframe. So <laughs> I think one more and it's officially bizarre, you know. And then I'm reporting you to authorities. Yeah, I would as well. But otherwise, it was a beautiful weekend. It was really nice to reminisce with my friend on her past year of her life just how much she's done and accomplished. We had a lot of thoughtful girl discussions and then just a lot of really stupid, funny memories all around London, just gallivanting around. And then one of our friends, moms and her best friend were coincidentally in London at the same time. So we went to tea with them, watching the generational friendships of women and being able to have that alongside each other was just really, really nice and it's lovely to play out. Legitimately food for the soul. It was amazing and just very revived. I don't know. I love London. Of course, within 2.2 seconds of being there, I was like, I guess it's a time to move to a new city. <laughs> <laughs> FYI, we were in Martha's Vineyard with like at the time where there was only pretty much 80 year olds around. And Kelly was like, should we move here? The three of us together. This is very on brand for you. It's true. Places I I've said I'd move. Martha's Vineyard, Coney Island. <laughs> <laughs> Australia? There's That's, a lot on the list. I'm just staying open. Australia is a solid option. Coney Island? So, Actually, yeah. I have animal news for you that I found. You do? Yeah. Is it about Australia's rat plague? No. Oh. It's not about that. <laughs> what? Is that even a thing? Yes. <laughs> Kelly said it with her face that other people would be like, okay, she's sure. I'm like, she's making this up, undoubtedly. This is where Kelly presents things as fact that she has no understanding of. No, there is. A plague of rats is creating havoc in Kurumba. Kurumba? I don't know. What? That's an Austria. It's a small coastal town in Queensland, Australia. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a rat plague. There's a few rats in a town in Australia. Where Australians? Don't worry, all the poisonous snakes will probably get them, so. Is that your news? No. Oh. My news is about Penelope, the platypus. 
This is a story dating back to 1957. Penelope was a platypus at Bronx Zoo, known for faking a pregnancy and abandoning her mate, Cecil. What a rogue name for a male platypus, Cecil. I feel like, what would you call a male platypus? Perry. Oh, Perry the platypus. Yeah. I mean, creative. (laughs) Yeah. So this story is so funny because... It goes on to say that zookeepers tried over and over to get the platypuses to mate. However, Penelope resisted Cecil's advances. There's a quote here. Penelope does not like Cecil, so their engagement is off at least until next autumn, they told a publication in, in 1952. Then, according to Time magazine, this is the coverage of this platypus. Cecil would court Penelope by biting onto her flat tail and holding on as Penelope waddled around the pool, dragging him in circles. Penelope did not appear to like him. She made headlines because she began behaving like an expectant mother. (laughs) They thought she was pregnant because of her eating habits and her mood around like guarding where she was sleeping. So then after 16 weeks, zookeepers made plans to explore the mound to see the potential offspring. They had 50 like newspaper reporters there for photographs and stuff, but there were no baby platypus. It was only her. And despite her maternal behaviour and increased food consumption, she had not been rearing any young. So then the zookeepers reported that they had been duped and that she was a faker. (laughs) And they accused her, and this is a quote, of posing as an expected mother just to lead to a life of luxury on double rations. (laughs) Where and how did you come across this? This came up on my TikTok. And it's a clip of all the, like, Wikipedia stuff with this Penelope the platypus. But anyway, then a few years later, she escaped from the zoo. A 15-person search team found her nearby in the Bronx River. Oh, she was probably so happy to have escaped finally. And then she probably was. And Cecil was over there, apparently seemed affected by her disappearance, was like scratching his head and he lost weight and died on day one of the search. You're kidding. So Cecil's over there just pining. Penelope was like, mate, get off me and I'm going to run away. Oh my God. I'm kind of devastated for both of them. Like Penelope, no means no. She wasn't interested. Let her run free, find a new mate or be by herself and be an independent woman. And Cecil was obsessed. Stalker behavior. It's stalker vibes, I think. That is devastating. Those months that she lived it up, she really lived it up. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you would appreciate this one. What's the plural? Platypi? Platypi? No idea. We're making that up. Don't. I don't often think about the platypi community, but. They're very cute. So anyway, yeah. I had a question for you. TikTok trend, shocker. And you might have seen it. Have you seen the one that it's like you want to know how well your partner or best friend knows you? Ask them this question. No. The question is, if you saw me down the street in an argument with a stranger, what would you assume we're arguing about or had happened? Oh, something like heady human rights or um, <laughs> women's rights. <laughs> Somebody said something that you were just like, this will not stand. Or someone cut in front of one of your friends. Like you're you're standing up for the lesser man. Being cut off is definitely <laughs> apparently not very hard for you to imagine. Uh, no. I when, when I was thinking about this for you, I was like, Kelly arguing with a stranger? Like, first of all, hard for me to see. Then I was like, well, what if someone 
was disrespecting Taylor Swift. That might do it. It depends on how egregious it would be. I almost think if they got a really the wrong fact, if they said she ruined Scooter Braun's investment and money and she's selfish and whatever, whatever. Yeah. Then I feel like you could be set off if you were in the right mood. Depends on where you are in your cycle. That's true. How recently you've talked to Amy about, you know, working on standing up for your rights. Shout out to our therapist, as always. Hi, Amy. But then I was like, you would also stand up for people you love. That's true. I feel like most likely situation would be, I would be like arguing with the child about something. (laughs) It would never be an adult. I feel like you're more the type of person who walks away and like has the argument in your head post-mortem to yourself though. I'll encourage my friends to argue and be like, you really should stand up for yourself in that situation and would never be me. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) Literally. If you see Kelly arguing on the street with a child, don't be surprised. And if you see me arguing with anyone, also don't be surprised. So should I move us into pop culture and you're going to tell me what's been going on this week? So kicking us off in pop culture, some very exciting, possibly the most exciting news of the year is that Taylor Swift has been announced as Time's Person of the Year, beating out finalists that included Barbie, Hollywood Strikers, Vladimir Putin, King Charles, and the Trump prosecutors. I'm sorry, what is that list you pay for? (laughs) What? Did you know about the finalists? Vladimir Putin? Yeah. Even King Charles? What? I know. Those were the two that really stood out to me as well. That also, were, if it's Time's funny. Person of the Year, how can it be the collective like Barbie or Hollywood strike? Like I'm No, do you remember when the Time Person of the Year was you? Wait, what? Yeah. The person of the year was all of us. Boo. I hate that. Obviously there's criteria that I'm not yet across, but this list is seeing Taylor Swift's name in a sentence alongside the people she beat. Like, oh wow, she is better than Vladimir Putin shot. Yeah. No, I think she had a very natural win. And I will say, I normally do read the profiles that they have for the person of the year. This year's profile was amazing. It was very spanning of her entire career. And it really told a story. It was thoughtful. And it didn't focus too much on her love life or her breakups. It struck a really nice balance between the fandom that she's created, as well as what she's overcome, some of her life story and what's important to her. And then it did still talk about Travis Kelsey, but it was very, very minimal. And I mean, that's part of her life. So fair enough, but definitely great that it wasn't who she's dated. I mean, this is a cause close to your heart in Taylor Swift. And as a non-Swifty, but with respect for Swift, I mean, you can't argue with her just influence, profile, success. And she just really does seem like a lovely person. At the end of the day, she seems like someone you'd want to have a drink with or dinner with. Totally. In the profile, there were two pieces that stood out to me. And one of them was being at the height of her success at 33, just compared to a lot of other musicians. She talks about how it feels like they threw in a bunch of teenagers into like a fire pit and were like, go compete for who should be in the top spot and then cycled you out. And so she's really paved ground there. And then she's also talked a lot about how with the whole Kanye debacle years ago and Kim Kardashian releasing the recording of their conversation and her really being canceled, she had a really interesting perspective. And I'll read that quote to you. 
in the article, she said, there's one thing that I've learned. My response to anything that happens, good or bad, is to keep making things, keep making art. But I've also learned that there's no point in actively trying to quote unquote, defeat your enemies. Trash takes itself out every single time. Hell yeah. <laughs> She's like our modern day poet. Her way with words, her ability to observe the world and succinctly put it together like trust takes itself out every single time just worry about you worry about how you show up how you're behaving don't spend time and energy on crappy people which i think is a great reminder because i'm sure we can all get a bit caught up wanting our perspectives to be validated completely 100 percent agreed i woke up to that and it's like really transformed my entire it's like day you've been crowned time test this has been one of the most influential days of my life and then in less exciting news, but another crowning of a moment of the year, did you hear about what the word of the year has been announced as by the Oxford Dictionary? No, what is it? Riz. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I would describe it. It's like having the factor that, how, how did they define it? It turns out it's short for charisma. Oh, there you go. Which makes sense. But the other finalists were Swifty, Situationship, and Prompt. Prompt just feels kind of random in there. I guess for like AI-generated prompt. Oh, I see. But still, I agree. All right. Riz, charisma. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And you have a piece of pop culture news for me, don't you? Yeah. Look at me go. No, and I actually can't quite work out when this was released, but it's Angelina Jolie has done an interview with the Wall Street Journal. And I feel like she hasn't been in the eye of the storm, meaning the press, in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And she also did like a sit down recorded interview. So there's clips of that floating around as well. And I watched the four minute version in, on YouTube. And I don't know, I just find her incredibly likable, which I think is so different from how she was presented 10, 20 years ago. When I was growing up, she was very much portrayed in media as the other woman in the gen rad so dynamic that she was this man stealing, whatever, whatever. And to see her now in the lens of being 30 myself, she just seems like a great person. Yeah. And like an angel in this world, like all her great work, all this that she does, her love for her children, her just passion around things in general beyond her pretty incredible acting skills. My highlight was she was asked what's her advice for someone going through a hard time. And she just responded saying, go right through it. Feel mm -hmm. it. Be in it. Don't avoid it. You've got to go completely in it. We'll link to the clip because she has more to say, but I just really love that message. It felt pretty clear to me. She's been through a lot of late. I mean, I think she's still in court for her divorce. So anyway, I just felt like haven't seen Angelina in a minute. And She's starting a clothing brand. And so I think that's why she's back. But it's very interesting to hear her talk about her inspiration behind the brand and why she's doing it. Okay, yeah. love that. I'm excited to read. I haven't seen her in a while. And every single time I see her in something acting-wise, I think about how supremely talented she is. And then every time I see her socially, I feel like it's for some cause that's yeah. incredibly big and never talked about. Like, I feel like she just does everything silently and fully from the heart, which is really lovely from an actress. For sure. She serves Amal Clooney, but less known and obviously not a lawyer, but <laughs> yeah, really cares about human rights, just does really amazing work globally and to your point really only has cameras there to elevate the issue and it never really is about her i don't know just love shouting out pretty incredible women as you see them so Hell good yeah. on angelina and i think our last 
pop culture story is that Margot Robbie and Cillian Murphy sat down for a conversation on the Barbenheimer explosion of media and had I think it was a 50 minute conversation with Variety and Margot Robbie also noted that a producer of Oppenheimer had asked her to move the release date of the movie stating that it would probably be better for the Barbie film if she did and she said (laughs) hey if you are scared to compete with us you move your date he said we're not going to do that and she said I think it would be better if we do the two of them at the same time anyways. Margot Robbie doing Australia proud is where I'll start. Goals. She really is and it is silly Murphy too is just seems like salt of the earth they both feel like incredible people and I've seen some of the clips of this I'm loving the format of celebrities interviewing celebrities seems to be taking off and I loved how it became society for once like embraced two things at once and we didn't do the verse thing as much I mean Margot Robbie good for you she knew her worth and how good Barbie is I'm glad she made that decision. Isn't it crazy how like those conversations behind closed doors influence society and pop culture so much? Totally. And my question for you coming out of that article is if you got two hours with Cillian Murphy or Margot Robbie, who would you pick and why? I think I'd have to go Margot Robbie. She's Australian. So there's like a shared common ground. Mm. I think I would love to hear her thoughts. Her breakout role was Wolf of Wall Street, which was a very sexualized character. And so for her to have made some of the decisions she's made across her career to be taken seriously as she deserves to be. I mean, I've seen her in a number of things. To me, she seems like a great actress. I think I would just love to hear her lived experience in navigating how she blew up in that role. Like she was a celebrity in Australia on Home and Away, but that's our soap opera. Oh yeah. To then go to Hollywood is a completely different kettle of fish. I think I would have to pick her an influential female in the world who is far more than I think just the actress we see in front of us. Who would you pick? Probably the same. Unless I was meeting with Cillian Murphy in his Peaky Blinders era, if he was in character. I kind of love him because he seems like an alien. He really doesn't seem to subscribe to any of the stuff. People are like, have you seen the memes about you? And he's like, what's a meme? He really (laughs) doesn't care. He wants to be an actor and then goes about his life. And so I think he'd be fun to sit down with. How about this? I sat down with Margot, you take Cillian, and then we can compare notes. Yeah, I think you would hate my notes. (laughs) You'd be like, he doesn't like cats. I found that out. (laughs) What? It would be a rogue set of information. I'd be like, what do you eat for dinner every night? Why does it feel like an interview if he was being interviewed by a seven-year-old? That's completely true. That would be my (laughs) prepared list of questions. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it because it's your curiosity that we had in our childhood has just never left you. And I think that that is special in a really good way. You know what? People don't want to know your takes on war. People want to know what you eat for dinner every night. I actually am curious now you've said it. Right? What's the weirdest food combination that Cillian Murphy goes for? I don't know. No one knows the answer because you haven't interviewed him. So we better get you in front of him. That's an unpopped culture. Well, I'm going to move it from the public too. I'll just steer the ship today, I think. You're taking 
a segment of this. So what do you have? The first news topic that I saw was an article titled Why Millennials Say They Need $525,000 a Year to Be Happy. So the financial services company Empower released the results of a survey conducted by the Harris Poll in August that asked 2,034 Americans aged 18 and older if they think that there is a price of happiness. And the average respondent said that they need a $284,000 annual salary to be happy. And for millennials, that amount was much higher at $525,000. Notably, Gen Z said it would take a $128,000 salary for them to be happy. And Gen X said that they would be happy with 130,000, boomers 124,000. Can I clarify who fits where? So it goes, baby boomers were born 1943 to 1964, then Gen X is 1965 to 1980, and then we millennials are 1981 to 2000, and then Gen Z comes after us. Okay, that's as I thought. I think what's very interesting about the millennial demographic as a standalone is you probably don't have a demographic that has such divergent lived experiences in their formative years because if you were born at the front end of being a millennial versus the back end of being a millennial your life is drastically different as are your opportunities I think the millennials have stated a higher need because we came up in a time where anything was still possible the sentiment around if you work hard enough you can have kind of any life you desire so people had their eye on that wealth accumulation in terms of living in their dream home being able to have a car for each adult in the house, traveling overseas every year, affording going out with your friends. And it's not necessarily you think you're going to live in a private jet, but you just think that a certain living standard is attainable. Mm -hmm. And I think now, as we reach this cost of living crisis, and we know that inflation and everything is outpacing how our incomes are increasing kind of year over year. So what I imagine is the case is that the life millennials thought they could have is actually one that now costs half a million dollars a year to sustain. Whereas for their parents, that would have been a low six-figure salary, could have sustained that kind of life and lifestyle. In fact, with one parent working and the other being home full-time. So that is why I would imagine that the, like, the millennial pricing is higher. And then I think the generation below us was born in a time where they knew everything was a bit jacked. They're never going to buy a house. They're never going to own. They've kind of accepted a different reality and a different living standard. Whereas I think millennials very much hold on to what we envisioned in our brains growing up. And there's a big departure now between that and what's possible for the average person. Yeah. As always, you hit just about every single point of the financial analysis, which is no surprise at all. Oh, is that really what they said? Pretty much. The reasons that they stated for millennials, at least, is that financial well-being for millennials has plummeted. And that's a combination of credit scores, debt loads, and credit card delinquencies, which feed into those, which is very okay. connected to exactly what you were talking about with the cost of everything becoming so much higher and just us having a higher expectation. And then some of the other things that it noted for millennials specifically, which made sense, was childcare costs have tripled since 1991, which would have a huge impact on our grouping, given that the millennial age group is the majority of the childbearing age. Right. And then the final one, which you hit on as well, is that 75% of homes on the market are too expensive for middle class buyers. 
That's a crazy statistic. I just got like goosebumps. Yeah, it's crazy. Housing crisis, food insecurity. We're staring down the barrel of I'm not really sure what. And there's going to be in a giant wealth transfer over the next two decades. But that being said, I really don't understand how we're going to sustain this model. I don't think it's working. So Yeah, I have no idea. The only thing I took away from my finance degree and my wealth management class is that the stock market and the economy goes through major ups and downs and by nature ends up making extreme changes based on whatever happens in the world. And we're due for a very big change. But it's scary to think about. Well, yeah, the nature of that, it's cyclical. That's like by definition. But yeah, it is. What does a reset actually look like? Because often recessions are like, how do you weather the storm that resets things, but not a wholesale reset. Right. Yeah. I guess we'll watch this play out. I'm kind of chuffed that I got it right, but I probably should because I am also a finance pilot. I was going to say, like of all people that would be incredibly tuned into that topic, I knew that you would be interested. I love this topic. I think the more data and statistics we can bring to it, the better, because I think I know personally, I'm, I've looked around being like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Like I thought based on working hard, credentializing myself, all the different things I was doing, I would have a certain life. And that looks less and less likely as the months tick by. And I realize I'm not alone in kind of that feeling. And I think it's nice to know you're not crazy. And there are real reasons why we are the first generation that will have a lower living standard than our parents inherently. You have to pretty much far out achieve your parents even have the same living standards as they had and will continue to enjoy. Yeah. And there are ways you can adapt. We should just be more like Gen Z. True. Very true. And we will adapt. Things will change and we just all have to be flexible to a changing idea of what we think money should go towards and how it is successful. And hopefully everybody gets a million dollars over the next year and that's the next financial package. (laughs) We all just get a million dollars. I'll award the money. You should be the treasurer. And for those who don't know, Kelly really was the treasurer of her sorority. And there are more stories there that we don't have time for today. But let's just say it didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) When I heard you were the treasurer, I got that feeling in my stomach, like, oh my goodness, do we know where the money is? I ran unopposed. And that is the only reason why I was awarded the position. And even then it should have, they honestly would have been better off if no one had taken the role. Finding out that the responsibilities of the role entailed me managing money was, it honestly came as a big shock. I want that clip to live on forever. But that was in context to you being a treasurer of something. Come to Kelly for wealth management advice and all things finance in the future. And I guess I'll move us into the news topic I'm going to cover. So COP28 is being hosted in the UAE right now until December 12th. Kel, do you know what COP is or what it means or where it comes from? Nope. I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, what are you saying? Okay, so the way they would answer it, it's a critical moment in global transformation for climate action. So for over three decades, there has been the United Nations 
Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is a bit of a mouthful. COP is the part that stands for the Conference of Parties to the Convention. So 28 is the number of years, a number of sessions it's had. And for context for people, the 21st session of COP, so COP21, led to the Paris Agreement, which mobilised collective action to limit global temperatures. This is really one of the biggest events around looking at and acting on the effects of our changing climate accelerated by human decisions and activity. Yeah. Really. And so this is a pretty important thing going on in the world. And so the purpose of the Conference of Parties, COP, and I hope I'm saying that right because I've really only seen it read, like written. <laughs> I mean, the acronym is COP, so I would hope. But the purpose of the Conference of Parties is to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change is to have an international climate summit. It is held annually unless the parties decide otherwise. And at the moment, it's when world leaders gather to work on solutions. And there are now 198 parties, which has 197 countries plus the European Union that are part of the convention, which is pretty much a near universal membership. So this is one of the most collective groups around. Interestingly, though, it is being held in Dubai and the New York Times reporter had kind of said the mood is mixed. When the delegates are arriving, they've got high hopes of making progress in this global fight against climate change, but it's also impossible to ignore the fact that the summit is held inside a gleaming new facility built with oil money. Mm, Didn't even think about that. But like with all things, my position on that is we we need to make progress and we can't let perfection get in the way of progress because we'll never get anywhere, especially as we have to currently rely on existing systems in place, systems that weren't built with climate action in mind. And that was a mistake. It was an oversight. Again, that's my opinion. Also the opinion of probably a lot of people at this conference. But I think progress is what we need to focus on. Yeah. It's been reported too that despite that dissolution hanging over the process and kind of where it's being hosted, it's still expected to draw 70,000 attendees and negotiators from around the world who will try and hash out agreements on limiting emissions, increasing renewals, and helping developing countries cope with disasters. So I'm going to be watching the headlines that come out over the next week as there's still five days to go. And BCG, Boston Consulting Group, provided a recap a few days ago, and I wanted to grab one of the things that they had talked about, and this is around the climate finance. If you can imagine that there are really sophisticated solutions out there to really help take action against climate change, we need vehicles as in money, capital, to deploy to these solutions so that we can start having the scale of impact to alleviate what is happening. And so to that end, the UAE president announced there will be a $30 billion fund for global climate solutions that aims to attract over $250 billion of investment by the end of the decade. The parties to COP also pledged $700 million in funding to help lower-income countries cope with loss and damage caused by climate change. And the presidency also launched 10 principles to make finance available, accessible, and affordable. So with the finance hat, didn't know that would be such a theme of today's pod. <laughs> it's encouraging that there is a fund like this. I actually am working again myself, and I'm working in the conservation space in Australia. And there are just so many incredible smart people working on this everywhere and to restore our biodiversity, our ecosystems and life on this beautiful planet we call home. It'll be interesting to see what comes out of 
the latest convention. But I wanted to ask you, Kel, hearing all this, learning kind of what it means, what are you feeling right now? I think it's really encouraging to hear. I feel like we see so many climate-related headlines and the news that can be really scary. And so knowing that there are a bunch of really smart people meeting on it and putting money towards it is good to hear and good to pay attention to just in general, because I do think there are so many global topics that just don't get the same space in the newspaper. Like even this one, I would assume that you had to flip through a couple pages in order to find it. And so I'm really glad that you did because hearing these voices and what comes out of it is going to be really interesting and enlightening and educational at the very least. Yeah, it's it's really awesome. I really do believe there is hope. You know, it's not too late. There are solutions out there. There's money going towards it. And, you know, for me in my life, for my super, my 401k, if you're in a position to self-manage how your retirement is being invested and all that kind of stuff, you can direct it to these kind of things like carbon sequestration projects. There are so many ways you can help move the dial here. And I think it's always important to remember that one person's actions can make a difference. I know mm-hmm. I get into a position where it feels just overwhelming and almost you disengage, but we are powerful. We're people. We all have kind of this ability to influence people around us who influence people around them. And you are not alone in this fight for our planet and to help make sure there's a habitable space and thriving ecosystem for generations to come. I'm excited to see the outtakes from this convention. And I think personally, as I continue to work in this space, I'm lucky enough to be able to have the space to really think about how we approach this differently. So we'll keep talking about it because I think you're dead right. It's often reported as like, here's the latest climate catastrophe. And I think it's really important to pay attention to what's going on because there are still people in the world who deny that global warming is going to affect us in the way that it is. You know, climate refugees are going to become a really real thing over the next decade. It's already occurring across the world. So I do understand why that reporting needs to happen. But I want to focus on the hope because there's plenty of it. So that's the outtake. And we'll link to some of these articles and the Boston Consulting Group takeaways. There's more that they've put out there so far. And no doubt there'll be more to come as the conference continues till the 12th of December. Fabulous. Thank you for that. Of course. Okay. Shall we transition into some content? Oh, hell yeah, we should. As a reminder, this is things we're absorbing, things we're loving, really. Article shows, movies, podcasts can also be apps we use. Our skincare. That's a shout out to what's coming later from me. But why don't you kick us off? What are you recommending to start? My first one for you is that Dolly Alderton, who we adore for 8,000 different reasons. She's one of our favorite writers and ex-podcasters, but she was on the podcast Changes where host and DJ, cool enough, Annie McManus chats to interesting people about the biggest changes that they've overcome in childhood and adulthood and how they affect change. I loved it for a host of different reasons, namely for Dolly, who we do know and love from her previous podcast, The Hilo with Pandora Sykes and her first novel, Everything I Know About Love. She recently released another novel called Good Material, which is why I think she's in the press junket so much right now. But in this episode, she covers a lot of ground on high stressor changes that I know that we both have discussed and encountered, including heartbreak, (laughs) self-worth, differentiating between what you really want versus what other people want for you and more 
more. And my favorite bit, if you don't get the chance to listen, was a piece of advice on getting over a heartbreak, no matter how long it's been, where she said that writing everything down about a person that you didn't like felt wrong or incompatible and reading it every day for 30 days so that you can unwind the reality of the situation and what your future would look like from the pedestal dream can be enormously healing. I love that. Great advice. Get those rose-colored glasses off. <laughs> and if you hard. need help, find your harshest friend and ask them to tell tell it to you and maybe write it down from that perspective. Yeah, if I feel like if you're me, you will not struggle at this exercise at all. If you're Kelly, you'd be like, but nothing was wrong. It's true. I actually, me and my therapist were talking earlier this week about how it's so easy sometimes to just open up the filing cabinet that was your relationship with someone and sift your fingers right over all of the red flags, horrible moments of anxiety and all the things and pull out that one well-worn folder that is this warm memory of you sitting on a couch and feeling like very comfortable and just soaking into that. Maybe this was the greatest thing when in reality, what you really need to center yourself in is all of the moments where I think Tink said this at one point too, where you were sitting with a close couple friend of yours and looking at them and just having a pit in your stomach of that's not what I have with this person. And I know that there's something else so much better for me. So I think it it can apply to all kinds of heartbreak. It doesn't just have to be romantic and writing things down in general. It can be hard to sometimes, but I think when you get pen in hand, it can just be enormously healing. I love this. Great takeout. I guess our advice on top is, yeah, call your honest friend who will tell you. (laughs) will help rip open the other parts of the filing cabinet you're ignoring. Gosh, always love this topic and Dolly in particular. Just, I'll be listening to this when we hang up. So that's great. Love. And you have a show recommendation for me? I do. I don't know if my genre is starting to show, but it's again a thriller and I'm late to the party. This is not a new TV show. In fact, I think it came out in 2017, the first season potentially, The Sinner. Oh, with Jessica Biel. Yeah, she was in season one. So it is one of the best crime series I have ever seen. For context, I have seen almost every crime series known to man. (laughs) So I would say I'm somewhat of an expert in assessing this. It is just mind-boggling. It's a different format to what you used to. Effectively, you see the crime within episode one. It's four seasons. They're kind of eight episodes long. And then it kind of unwinds from there. Each season has an almost entirely new cast, but for the lead detective who is consistent across the four, I am in season three. It is so good. If you didn't get on board it when it came out, because I don't know, sometimes I do this with everyone's talking about a show. I'm almost less inclined to watch it. Don't know. So I kind of missed it on the first go around. It's so good if you haven't watched it go and watch it. So that's my TV series rec. I also have a skin recommendation. Ooh. I think you know, partway through my travels, my skin just gave up. It was so terrible. Hate it. I've had acne in the past, been on Accutane twice or Royal Accutane for Australians. So skin is a topic that is close to my heart. Last week I got a new product. Well, I've used Foil is the brand. And actually, one of my best friends is a co-founder of this brand. And I've had a lot of their products in the past and added one of their new products to my skin routine. And Kelly, you can probably attest, it feels like my skin is glowing. No makeup on. I know you do. You do look amazing. So I got their vitamin C serum and it's incredible. 
But more incredible is I want to tell you about this brand. They make reusable vessels. So the containing you get is literally designed to look like almost a piece of art. It's so beautiful. Like I'm obsessed with it. Can't wait to have it on my countertops when I do move into my own home. They also have uber clean products. It's vegan and cruelty free. It doesn't have parabens, sulfates, fragrances, toxic ingredients. None of the things that a lot of our skincare has. They're clean and safe ingredients. And they're made in small batches in Australia. You can get it shipped to the US, so fret not, our US listeners. They have refills that you can buy to put into your vessel because they're really conscious of impact. So they are committed to being a progressive brand and adopting kind of a 360 approach. This has been around for years. Like they're not jumping on this train because this is the newest thing. Yeah. This is the core to their brand and what they're the two founders who are incredible people are very passionate about. And it just wins all around. The product on the inside, the look of it itself. I want to show you. I'll share my screen with you so you can see it. I want your reaction on the air. Okay, amazing. Oh my God. Whoa. So this is what this is what I just got. They're deep blue sea cream. So it's a beautiful vitamin C. Gorgeous. That is fabulous. It's really hard to sort through skincare or even try to like go through all the TikTok things yeah. of what to do where and what I love about that too is I feel like they have a couple of core products versus the baby in the bathwater or whatever the phrase yeah. is having everything in its mother so it's amazing that. their skews are incredible it's spelled f-o-i-l-e we will link it and I'm loving it so that's a skin wreck I love that that is fabulous because I was actually staring at you and I was like wow her skin and your eyebrows look so good oh I thank you and your hair I guess just all of you but <laughs> I'm like sitting here looking like a mess, but I appreciate it. You're not. Except the skin. It actually, I can see it in the little corner. I'm like, oh, it does look. <laughs> what are you closing us out with from the Rex side? You know what I'm closing us out with? It's a bit of a hodgepodge here. Obviously, as we're entering the month of December, it's time to watch all of our favorite holiday movies. Love. So I wanted to list mine out and then I wanted to get your reactions and edits from your end of what you would consider. Yeah. Taking place number one, the holiday with shout out to Mr. Napkinhead and Jude Law. Then love actually all of the Santa Clauses. If National Treasure counts as a holiday film, that goes in there. And in spot number five is Little Women. Love it. Love the vibe. It will probably come as no surprise that I have no go-to holiday movies and this isn't really my jam. What? Why You're telling me you don't watch Love Actually or The Holiday religiously I, every year? I tried to watch one of the new like Netflix ones with Seb and he was like, let's not do that. So okay, they're awful. That's very different. I have seen, I do love The Holiday and Love Actually. They're great. This The Santa Claus thing you're talking about, never seen it. National Treasure, don't know what that is. Haven't seen Little Women. So You, wait. You haven't seen National Treasure with Nicolas Cage, where he steals the I Declaration mean, of Independence? Can you tell from that sentence how truly American that is? Yes. <laughs> it is <laughs> sensational. You have to watch it immediately. The fact that this is about the Declaration of Independence. No, you would love it. What does it have to do with the holidays? So it doesn't 
at all. That's actually why I was asking if you would consider it a holiday film. My family firmly falls into the camp that it is, but it doesn't even, I don't think there's even a Christmas tree. On what basis? How is it a holiday film? It just feels like something you should watch around the holidays. I think it's probably because of your deep-rooted patriotism in America, just going out on a limb there. That has to be it. Or a love for Nicolas Cage. Both, maybe. I am shocked to my core. You have to watch it right away and then you'll get back to me. And you have to promise that you will on our friendship. (laughs) Okay, I'll do it. Wait, what's the Little Women one? Is that a holiday one? You don't know Little Women? Also directed, the new one, directed by Greta Gerwig. Oh, no. Okay, I haven't seen it. I've heard of it. Is this the one that Florence Pugh kind of had a breakout role in? Yeah, it's Florence Pugh, Saoirse Ronan, Emma Watson, Timothée Chalamet. Timothy. Timothy. So um, funny that that's actually how you meant to pronounce it. Bless him. Yeah. Because he never corrected people. No. Yeah. But they're all in it. It's an amazing cast. And oh, Laura Dern. Yeah. Okay. Love. Laura Dern. It's delightful. It's like very sweet, all girlhood focused. You'll be completely obsessed with the main character, Joe, which is Sorcia Ronan's role. It's everything. And that one, too, it's not about. Christmas time, but it briefly has a moment of Christmas. And once again, it feels like a Christmas movie. You're like, it had a tree in the background by accident and therefore Christmas. There's maybe five minutes of Christmas. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll add, I don't think I'm going to watch Santa Claus. I'm sorry, but I just, it's probably not for me. I will watch National Treasure and Little Women and report back. I'm so appalled. Like, here I was, Mr. Scrooge, and I didn't even realize. Are you at all surprised, though, honestly, if you, like, really reflect? Kind um, no, but I could picture you having a warm spot for a couple of specific traditions. I wouldn't have been surprised if you were like, oh, me and my family every Christmas Eve watched this one film and it was, like, something very old and classic. No, we actually don't have, like, a ton of traditions, which is something Seb and I actually do want to start to create, so... I will make them for you. Yeah, you can just tell us what traditions we need. The tradition is your best friend from America comes to visit. That'll do. Every year. You better come. Okay. It's an expensive tradition for you, but I'm game. Well, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think this brings us to the end of our little pod. We love our time together. We love our listeners. Shout out to whoever you are. We can't really tell, but hopefully (laughs) you're there. And it's such an exciting time of year. I just love it. And it's interesting because we're experiencing different hemispheres. I'm in the peak of kind of summer. You're about to hit the peak of winter. How interesting that is. Yeah, I was thinking about that today. You get the joys of summer and I'm just truly suffering in the depths of New York cold. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in and have a great rest of your week. Bye.